more than just 18 wheels moving products around the country. Trucking is complex and its people are passionate. Accommodating a diverse driving workforce, ever-changing regulations, supply chain demands, and new technologies all present their own challenges, but in trucking, the creative and the innovative succeed. Let's understand the people that drive and support the trucking industry, and welcome to Garner Trucking's Beyond the Cab. Hello and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cab. I'm your host, Tim Krolski, and with me today, a special guest. Uh, very honored to have Mr. Brian Dakin, who is the Vice President of Advocacy and Strategic Initiatives. That's a mouthful all on its own. Uh, <laughs> with the Toledo Regional Chamber of Commerce. I want to um, thank you, Brian, for coming in today. We've got uh, a pretty interesting topic, I think, and especially for um, truck drivers, but not only drivers, but uh, just your regular motorists um, uh, through a specific area, and we're going to get into the detail of that today. But before we get too far, Brian, could you just share with me a little bit about your background? Is Toledo home for you? Yeah, so I grew up in Bowling Green. Um, but hey, you know, thank you very much for uh, having me down to have this conversation. Uh, we really appreciate that opportunity to get more people informed about what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So BG was originally home. Did you go to school at BG or? Yep. I uh, graduated from high school there and then uh, went on to uh, BGSU. And, okay. And so you're my, a Falcon, huh? I'm a Falcon. Did my oh. four, four and a half years there. <laughs> it's so taboo in the uh, in the community of Toledo, huh? That's for, right. For not being a rocket, shame on you. Well, I <laughs> married one, and then uh, I went on to uh, do some graduate work at UT. So hopefully that buys me a little bit of street credit. <laughs> <laughs> Balances you out. What was uh, what was your courses of study there? Yeah, so I did uh, political science and uh, economics uh, for my undergrad. And I uh, thought that was a good mix to, uh, you know, understand how the economy and politics play together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I'm really great at it from the, from the conversations that we've had and getting to meet you. I've learned quite a bit already. Um, so what brings you then to the Toledo Chamber? How do you, get, how do you make that, uh, that jump? Yeah, so uh, coming out of college, I uh, had the real honor of working for uh, Congressman Paul Gilmore. Uh, in the district and out in D.C. for about six years. Uh, had a chance to go to the White House and, and do some uh, work for the vice president for uh, about a year and a half. Okay. Uh, and then uh, said I'm tired of uh, high rent in D.C. and, and came back to Ohio and, and, and got involved here. And uh, I spent uh, about seven or eight years uh, working for uh, statewide elected officials, uh, representing them with uh, businesses and the communities uh, in Northwest Ohio for, you know, seven or eight years. Okay. All right. I got to ask, which vice president? Uh, I was with, there with Cheney. Okay. Uh, right. Incredible experience. Got to see and do a lot of things. And, uh, you know, anytime you have a chance to be in proximity with somebody like that, you always learn a few things. Yeah. Even when you don't know it. That's what, uh, that's when you just turn into a sponge, I would imagine. That time in uh, uh, Washington, D.C., I'm sure, was invaluable to, to where you are today and, and the work that you're doing uh, at the Chamber. So um, 
One of the things that, uh, that, that that we've had some conversation on, I think, again, kind of draws back to a lot of the work that's been done here on our interstates and our state routes. I think Ohio does an exceptional job of care and maintenance and improving and those types of things when it comes to our roadways. I think much better than most other of our, of our surrounding states, if I'm just being blatantly honest, painfully honest. Uh, I know the improvements here on I-75 uh, with, with having three lanes now here from uh, Finley to Toledo has been an outstanding achievement. While it was painful at the time, uh, the I think the dividends have really paid off on that. But now we have uh, an opportunity down uh, towards the Columbus area. And uh, Brian, really what brings you here today is an opportunity where there was a study that was happening on Route 23. Can you tell us a little bit about what that study was and what's going on there? Yeah, no. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, to your earlier comment about the, the great job that Ohio has done, uh, we were uh, recently in the, in the state up north. And uh, as we crossed the state line, my daughter said, well, we're in Michigan now. Why don't they ever fix the road? So, uh, you know, the fact that somebody at eight can, can feel that, uh, I think is a testament to the job that Ohio has done to, to, you know, maintain the roads and try and get ahead of some of the problems. Absolutely. Uh, which is so, it's a little bit discouraging then um, to know that we've done a great job in the state uh, and to get into this issue with uh, US 23, uh, just north of Columbus through Delaware. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is an area that has seen a lot of growth over, over 30 years. Uh, there's been a couple of studies that have been done to identify some of those problems and, and call for some solutions. And so a year and a half or so ago, uh, we were really encouraged when ODOT, TEMACOG, and MORPSI, uh, those are the two regional planning organizations for Toledo and Columbus area, uh, those three came together and funded a study to look at how do we achieve free-flowing traffic between Toledo, Northwest Ohio, and Columbus. Right. Uh, you know, anybody who's been through there recently know that you've got 38 stoplights that you have to go through in Delaware County uh, from Waldo to 270. It's almost, it's almost hard to believe that it's actually 38, but uh, having traveled through there many times, your options can be somewhat limited if you're going to try to avoid those. Uh, for those of us who've driven a tractor trailer, uh, and understand the kind of mechanics of starting and stopping. It further slows things down at every stoplight. And, of course, you know, those types of things, you, you, you want to have an atmosphere and, and roadways that are safe, uh, and you've got to be able to protect uh, motorists from each other as far as those, those stop-and-go situations. So it, somewhat important, but um, as far as the flow of commerce, uh, those types of situations are a little bit more difficult. So the study itself, uh, when did that start? Uh, it was about a year ago this time. Okay. So a little over a year ago. Uh, it was supposed to be a, a two-year study uh, looking at different options uh, to alleviate the congestion, address some of the safety concerns that are through there. Uh, and so that came to an end about two weeks ago. Pretty abruptly. But it was supposed to be a two-year study. It was supposed to be a two-year study. Okay. And so in um, kind of your estimations and, and understanding, what's what's happened uh, that's kind of brought that to a halt? Uh, you know, I think we're still trying to understand that. Uh, we've had some conversations uh, with officials at transportation. And, you know, they, one of the comments they made was, well, there was significant opposition. 
Okay. So the, the natural question is, you know, what does that mean? Is it 20, 30, 300 letters of opposition? Uh, and really didn't get a straight answer about what that means. It feels like it's pretty subjective. Okay. Um, there's been a comment that the, the benefits don't outweigh the cost of, of trying to come to a solution. And, you know, when we really look at it long term, uh, throughout the entire corridor and impacting the, the entire state, uh, I'm not sure that's a, a valid argument either. Right. Uh, when we look at other projects that have been done uh, to address safety, promote economic opportunities uh, for other places. Well, one of the things I thought was interesting kind of the first time that we met and part of the conversation that we had, uh, and I wasn't aware um, that there is uh, a major project uh, planned being being started just south of Columbus um, involving I-75, I-74, I-73. What, can we talk a little bit about that and what, what your understanding is of that project? Yeah. Uh, so there's a, a great project uh, in the works uh, that's really about connectivity uh, from Michigan all the way into the Carolinas and, and, and Myrtle Beach. And it's usually referred to as the 73, 74, 75 corridor. Uh, and again, it's about connectivity and how do we get our part of the country better connected with the southeast. Uh, there's a lot of tourism opportunities, uh, but there's also a lot of commerce and, and manufacturing and logistics uh, that's important that we can, can capitalize on. Right. Um, that's what we do in Ohio. We build things, we ship things, and when we're in a, a community up here in Northwest Ohio where you're within a day's drive of 60% of the population, having connectivity that is safe and efficient is absolutely critical to our success. I agree with that. I think that uh, you know this this I seventy five corridor all by itself is so impactful north to south, but uh, to be able to kind of stretch over to the east, it gets a bit cumbersome. You've got to take you know some of those state routes, regular state routes, to to find your way to the next interstate. It it becomes a little tough. Right. And, um, and quite frankly, who wants to go through D.C. at rush hour? Right. right. It, so, so fair. So true. <laughs> so, you know, we really do have to make sure that we've got good options to get uh, throughout the country. Uh, and they need that connectivity to us as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That door swings both ways and it helps uh, commerce throughout the nation at that point. And uh, that's uh, uh, can be pretty meaningful relationships. Um, I, as an industry, we try to stay pretty focused on where our problems are at. I know we, we have a major problem. Actually, the number two uh, congested area in in the United States is just, just south of us here in uh, a little city called Cincinnati. Um, the, uh, the, the I-71, I-75 merge there uh, is actually, it's number two on the top top 100 list of most congested places so pretty awful to be on that list and we don't want to continue to uh, exacerbate the problem by having other areas that follow that same sort of congestion um, so getting back to the study a little bit we you know we're taking this trip down 23 we're taking a look and figuring out okay what's you know what's the best solutions what are those solutions what do they look like uh, what's what's something that's practical or a couple of solutions that would be practical for diffusing that portion of 23 in Delaware yeah uh, you know so as, as ODOT and the team came together 
they identified uh, about six or seven different alternatives to what we currently have. Uh, there was a couple that went to the uh, west and connected in around uh, 33 in the Marysville, Dublin area to, okay. to go that way. Uh, there was a couple that went to the east, uh, connecting in on 71. Uh, there was the option to make significant improvements to the existing uh, 23 corridor. And then everybody's favorite, do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those were where they, they started um, and developed those over the, the past year. Uh, and I think there's some uh, some validity and some opportunity with some of those, especially connecting into the east. Knowing where we're seeing growth and, and development now, uh, it makes sense to have that connectivity through 71. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What uh, So the opposition side of things, I have to imagine, probably will include some of those landowners um, if you you know opt to do something uh, outside of, what is that, uh, 36 that, that runs runs through the uh, the east side there and, and get you over to 71 off of 23? Yeah, so one of the options that was considered was uh, looking at that 36-37 connection between 23 and, and 71. Um, you know, I think looking back historically, that was probably an option uh, 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. That might have been. Uh, but if you've been through there recently, you know there's a lot of housing. There's a lot of businesses. Uh, it's a two-lane road yep. right now. Uh, so there would be significant cost in, in trying to do that and, quite frankly, disrupting a lot of people's lives uh, that we don't probably need to do. Right. Uh, so that, that probably doesn't really feel like a, a good option. So I think we would agree with the study there that, that that's not viable. Um, but I think what we know is if we move a little bit north of that, there's some opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't seen the development yet uh, that has cur- occurred in the, the southern part of that corridor. Uh, you know, to build a connector from 23 to 71, it's about a 15-mile stretch. Okay. Um, predominantly farmland at, th- at this point. Um, and look, w- when you start talking about farmland and, and, and development, that gets controversial at times, uh, especially when one owner maybe can take advantage of that and, and the neighbor doesn't. Right. Uh, but we know that in a region that's going to grow by a million people, that's going to grow by a million jobs over the next 20 years, uh, in a corridor that is going to have truck traffic uh double yep well you're accommodating that that population and obviously then the job growth has to be there along with it so you know that commerce all is just going to continue to excel yeah it's, it's not going to get any better right uh and so really taking this opportunity to identify a true long-term solution uh we have a pretty narrow window to do that mm-hmm. uh yeah, because any project you do, how you know that's going to take you four or five years to to get done. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, by the time you get to the design, the permitting, and construction, uh, it might even be a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely achievable. Uh, but what it's going to take is a little bit of fortitude and, and leadership to to make that happen. Absolutely. So what uh, what do you what do you expect the cost of uh, of doing something like that might be if you if you made that 15 mile stretch if everything was perfect assuming okay we're go it's a green light what's the what's the cost 
Yeah, so the uh, the initial cost estimates that have come out is right around 1.1 to 1.2 billion. Okay, net with a B. Yep. Uh, not exactly pocket change. I, I, but, I feel uh, like I feel like everything starts with a B now. It doesn't matter what we're talking. We're into we're into the T's as as a nation, so we might as well be in the B's at the at the uh, uh, state level at least, right? That's right. You know, I, I remember when I was in D.C. You know, people used to say, you know, a million here, a million there. You start talking real numbers. Uh, that seems small. Yeah. So. Yeah, this this is not cheap. It's not inexpensive. It's it's not easy. If that were the case, it would have been done a long time ago. Uh, some of the other options get up into 2.5, 2.8 billion in, in terms of cost. Uh, that's a definitely a harder pill to swallow. Oh yeah. Um, but we also know it's not going to get easier. It's also not going to get any less expensive as we look at. Uh, inflation and the cost of materials and the cost of labor to make these things happen. Cost of diesel. <laughs> yeah, you know, coming down, I think I saw probably an average of about five forty, and uh, unfortunately for you guys, I think that might be cheap. Uh, yeah, it's later deflating. This it's very deflating. That's for sure. Um, I I guess uh, you know that. So the, the the study itself has has stalled out, and, and one of the things that I was hopeful of as we had this conversation is really understanding. I, I guess one of the things I should step back and say is I appreciate uh, where where we live in the community we live in here. Um, Hancock County has kind of stepped up, and we're taking a look at that Route 15 piece of you know before you get down to 23 that uh, we need to make make our roadways a little bit safer and start to shut off some of those intersections and get a little closer to to a limited access highway, um, which I think you know ultimately still improves that that traffic flow. Um, certainly, it uh, might be an opportunity then if you get enough of it done that that the road speed can can go up a bit and um, continue to create a, a safe atmosphere for, for trucks and, and for passenger vehicles to, to get from point A to point B. But it doesn't stop that bottleneck down in, in, in Delaware. So the question becomes, this, the study has stopped. We're at a standstill. What, uh, what's the next steps here in, in, in efforts to get that rekindled? Yeah, so if there's anything I've ever learned is uh, – the body's not dead until it's well buried. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we've hit a little bit of a, of a roadblock here. Uh, but what we know is that there's still opportunities to try and influence uh, decision makers around this. Uh, so we're actively working with uh, the business community, economic development throughout that corridor. Uh, to go back to our elected officials in Columbus, and we, we've gotten a great response from our state legislators that we've spoken to about it. Uh, so that next step is, you know, we're going to make an ask to the governor, um, make this a priority, help us address uh, safety and connectivity for all of Ohio. Absolutely. So, if uh, as a listener is hearing what what's what's going on and has some some strong beliefs about what that situation down in Delaware is. They've been stopped by 34 of the 38 stoplights. How, how do they get involved? How do they, how do they um, um, help this initiative along? Yeah, no, great question. You know, certainly uh, one way is reach out to your state legislator, let them know of your concerns. Uh, reach out to the governor's office, let them know. Uh, and we have a lot of information available on our website, uh, ToledoChamber.com, uh, where you can get uh, a little bit more of the background of what's going on. 
why we and others feel that this initiative is so important uh, to the success of our of our state. Well, I think you you bring up an interesting point, and I, I guess I find it interesting. I'm having a conversation right now with a representative of the Toledo Chamber of Commerce, and. You would think that that, uh, that conversation probably would be had somewhere down closer to Columbus. Why is this so important to, uh, to the Toledo Chamber? You're right. Uh, it's 120 miles away from Toledo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is really important, not to just Toledo, but Finley and Defiance and Fremont, Bryan, Montpelier. Th- this is about northwest Ohio. And just as Ohio has in itself a lot of uh, strength in manufacturing and logistics and warehousing, we have that in Northwest Ohio. And so we feel that having better connectivity and having a safer way to get to Columbus allows us to more fully participate in that success. And it's a, it's a, it's a two-way conversation. Uh, we have things that we have to get to Central Ohio and beyond and people in Central Ohio need to be able to access our markets. Uh, they need to be able to access the Port of Toledo, uh, one of the you know seaports that we have in, in the Great Lakes, to to be able to get things out. Uh, in a year and a half, so in, in 2024, we're looking at the opening of the Gordie Howe Bridge. Mm-hmm. So this will be the third crossing in Detroit uh, to connect our region and, and the rest of the country to Canada. And why is that so important? There's more than 300 Canadian-owned businesses in the state of Ohio. Uh, Canadian is our largest trading partner. In fact, if you take the next seven or eight destinations, it still doesn't equal what we uh, do with Canada. Uh, So this is all coming. We know that there's more traffic coming. You mentioned the bottleneck in Cincinnati. We were very supportive of the improvements to the Brent Spence Bridge for the same reasons. It's about connectivity. Uh, And we understand that when you have safe modes of transportation, when you can easily get to different markets, we all succeed. I think that's really well said, Brian. I appreciate those thoughts and sentiments. And certainly from the trucking industry standpoint, anything that we can do to make the roads a bit safer, a little more free-flowing, makes the job a little bit easier. And frankly, you know, we've got 11 hours of drive time. And anything you can do to expedite that process without making the roads less less safe, you know, by putting in those opportunities to be able to bypass those areas that we don't need to go through, I think it's just beneficial for all. And it, it does. It helps commerce at the end of the day. Yeah, that, that's a great point on, on the time restrictions that you have that you can drive during the day. Uh, we had a conversation with somebody in the warehousing industry in this area. They said, you know, we can only schedule our drivers one round trip a day to Columbus because we don't know if it's going to take two hours or four hours. And so when you have limited time frames that you can be on the clock, that makes it harder for you to do your job. Right, and, and much um, less efficient. It, it, it hurts the customers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that in the industry right now, you have a shortage of drivers. Uh, so if you have to wait another week, to deliver to a customer, that doesn't help your business. Uh, and the driver shouldn't have to feel that stress of trying to get there quickly. Uh, I mean, there, there are so many layers to this. Uh, 
it just makes sense to, to come up with a long-term solution that really works for everybody. I agree. I agree. And I think really well said today. Brian, I want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate you coming in, uh, talking about a, a, a very important issue. Again, it, it affects not only not only trucking, but uh, just the general motorist um, as you're trying to get back and forth from that Columbus area. And of course, you know, our state capital, so well-traveled. And as you point out, a lot of uh, a lot of things being made, a lot of things being delivered, a lot of things being shipped, and a lot of things being passed through those areas. So, uh, pretty important topic. Um, that's the time we have today. And again, Brian, thank you. This has been Tim Krolski on another edition of Beyond the Cap.